Well, how are you all doing today? That has been the um, question that many of you have asked me. And um, with tears in my eyes, I've said, well, I'm not sure. Because Well, thank you. I want to um, now introduce Pastor Jim, who will preach. <laughs> Golly. Uh, as some of you may know, this will be the last sermon more than likely, that I preach here. And uh, it is because uh, beginning um, in October, next week, October 1st, your new pastor, Stacy Miller, will come officially, though he's made one of those, um, what shall we say, so slow slides in, being so close to us at Myrtle Grove Christian School. And so it has been my heart to do one of those slow uh, slides out. And uh, some of you have asked me, do you have to leave? And there's no real easy answer to that except uh, to say that it really is the, um, the expected norm that when um, an incoming pastor arrives, the outgoing pastor leaves. It's for a number of reasons. It's not you know, because there's any heartburn. Stacy and I have been friends for the eight years that I have been here, and um, nor is he, uh, he's very easy to work with, and I trust that he would say the same about me. But it is important that when a new um, <clears throat> season begins, that it begins in earnest. And because of that, uh, this will probably be my last uh, sermon, at least officially. Uh, Cynthia, uh, who is working today, and by the way, thank you for those of you who have prayed for her. Uh, if you weren't here last week, she took a tumble and did a face plant on the concrete and had a big black eye and wasn't feeling all that great uh, last week because it happened the day before on Saturday a week ago. Uh, but today she's working with a little makeup on the eye and... Uh, Anyway, she is not here, but uh, she and I are uh, seeking the Lord for what is next in our lives. And um, it is therefore with sadness that we leave because we have known so many of you. My nose is runny, sorry. Um, we've known so many of you for such a long time, over 36 years in some cases. We have served here for 10 years from 81 to 91 and then again for the last um, eight years. So we've known many of you intimately and closely, and we've been friends with you, and I trust we'll continue to be friends at at least one level. And we have known others of you more superficially just by virtue of numbers. Uh, but we want to say that we love each of you. Uh, so 
Um, we're saddened and yet we're excited about what God has next for us, whatever that may be. So we uh, would enlist your prayers for us as we uh, begin to make that transition. Now, having said that Stacy arrives officially October 1st and I end officially October 1st, uh, we will probably be around a couple of weeks uh, or so just to make a sort of smooth transition to help Stacy Miller in whatever way we can, uh, including even staying out of his way if that's the most important thing uh, to be done. So uh, what I thought I would do this morning, lest I babble around and cry most of the morning, and that still could happen, um, I want you to turn to um, Acts chapter 20. And I want to read um, a little bit uh, with you and share some of the word that God has given uh, to me to share with you. Um, and I guess I would begin with reading uh, verse 20. Uh, Paul had developed relationship with the church in Ephesus on his second missionary journey. And we're going to read just about that in a minute from the previous chapter, chapter 19. Uh, but uh, now, after probably at least three years, Paul circles back around and he calls the elders together. And it is in the context of his calling the elders together, verse 17 of chapter 20, from this island uh, called Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And he said things to them like, um, I've not, verse 20, held anything back but proclaimed to you and taught you publicly and from house to house and testify, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, verse 21, that repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's the central issue. And then um, down at verse 24, even though the Spirit was testifying that he would go to Jerusalem and be bound and from Jerusalem on to Rome and the Lord was beginning to show him what would be his lot in the final uh, leg of his journey. He said, verse 24, but none of these things move me, uh, nor do I count my life dear to myself, but that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which uh, I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And uh, that's what I would title this today, uh, Finishing the Course with Joy. <laughs> you will be joyful, <laughs> Steve. And, um, but let me go back just a little bit and uh, give you some of the context because if you turn back to Ephesus or Ephesians, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 19, which is where Paul first broke into that region uh, and the city of Ephesus, it happened, verse 1 says, while Apollos was in Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to the city of Ephesus and he found some disciples. And he said to them, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we have not so much heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. <laughs> and he said to them, into which, what, was, what were you then baptized? And they told him we were baptized into John. In other words, John the Baptist's message had come there. 
and uh, they were baptized to, into John for repentance. Their contrition of heart, there was openness to God, and they want to follow him like many of us in our day. We, we want to know about God, but it's not always so clear to us. And uh, then he said, verse uh, 4, Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with water for repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who was to come, that is, upon Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And verse 6 says, And when Paul then had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. Now, the reason I, I start with that to give a bit of context is that um, without... And I'm not suggesting that any sort of second work of the Spirit or third work or fourth work. I'm suggesting that there is not, if there is not a theological framework for understanding who the Holy Spirit is and a personal experience of Him, we will live as mere men and women. That's why last week I shared with you the word on the helper, who the helper is from John 14, 15, and 16. Because it's easy to um, come to a church, to this church or any other church, and understand certain precepts about um, the things of God. But what Paul was interested in is not just their understanding about the things of God, but that they're receiving a personal touch from the Spirit of God. Because when everything is said and everything is done, it's not what you know about God that counts. It's about how much of God you have actually experienced, meaning how much of Him has really impacted who you are. So it's with that sort of understanding that I would say to you today that Paul began his relationship with the Ephesians um, by leading them into an encounter of the Holy Spirit. And when we believe Jesus, we receive the Spirit. To be sure, you cannot be born of the Spirit unless the Spirit is active in calling and drawing and bringing you to that place. But what I am saying to you is that there is probably more than most of us have fully experienced. And I would encourage you uh, to seek after Him and to receive all of Him, all that He has for you. None of you have arrived. None of me <laughs> has arrived. God has arrived in order to transform our hearts and our lives. So, so Paul begins then with, uh, which, with bringing the church, the, the disciples, the followers of John into a fuller understanding of Jesus, baptized them in the name of Jesus, in the name of probably the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, however they did that, but in the name of Jesus, and then he prayed for them that the Spirit of God would impact their hearts at a very deep level. Has your heart been impacted by the Holy Spirit at a very deep level? is the question for each one of us. 
So now three years later, Paul goes back to that same group of people. And by the way, I think it is verse 7. Now, uh, the men who were there were about 12 people. You know the little song, It Only Takes a Spark to Get a Fire Going? There were 12 people in Ephesus who were disciples of John who heard about Jesus, who were baptized in water into Jesus, believing now in who he was, what he did, uh, what he has come to do and accomplish in them. And the Spirit was poured out, and 12 men who were lit, if you will, on fire by the Holy Spirit uh, grew into an amazing uh, culture in the whole realm. The whole city of Ephesus was beginning to be drawn into this. Uh, So from 12, there was a mighty church established in the church uh, in the city of Ephesus. And so now, three years later, uh, Paul goes back to them, and uh, let me slide now, look again at verse or chapter 20. Um, Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to fulfill, uh, finish my ministry uh, or the race with joy and the ministry that I received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Grace was was foundational for the the Apostle Paul. Let's look at verse 28. Uh, Therefore, take heed to yourselves, elders, he was addressing at this meeting, take heed to yourselves and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers in order to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Now, verse 31 And then I'll get to the verse that I want to look at with you this morning. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn every one of you night and day with tears. Uh, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified." And that really, I believe, is what I want to focus on in our remaining time this morning. God commending them through Paul in my commending you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance And from that inheritance, among all of those who are sanctified, build you up, give you an inheritance, and sanctify you. Well, I don't have time to teach on the grace of God specifically. I've done that many different times. I've tried to help us unpack um, the polemic between law and grace. Um, I don't know how good a job I've done that with that, but that has been my heart. Because I see many people who are attempting to come into relationship with God and are attempting to do it by their own performance. I was talking to someone before the service began, and you know, they said, I said that we're primarily human doings rather than human beings. God is interested in our being, and in fact, uh, God is the only one who is. I am, he said, that I am. 
And uh, the, the I am God uh, has come and shown himself in the person of Jesus and, and has begun to show us what grace is, that the God who created everything around us uh, stepped into human skin. We call that the incarnation. God became flesh. And this man, Jesus, lived a perfectly sinless life before them. And ultimately, he said, I have to go away. And he went to a cross. And on the cross, he did something for you that you could never do for yourself. You can never be good enough for God to love you. Jesus went to a cross. And on the cross, he gave himself so that uh, his blood would be poured out. Verse 28, shepherd uh, the flock, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You see, it is not your being religious or mine. It is not our good works. It is not uh, any of those things by which we can try to jump harder, run faster. It is simply grace is receiving the free gift that is offered to us. And the free gift comes by virtue of another paying the penalty for your sin and for mine. Jesus went to a cross and he paid for our sin and said, it is now finished. And the gospel that Paul preached was this same Jesus was buried in a tomb for three days. And after three days, he was raised from the dead. And that is what always got Paul into trouble because men and women are okay about understanding certain things about theology, but when it comes to recognizing that the mystery of the gospel includes another dying for our sin and being buried and being raised from the dead and then ascending back to the Father and then God himself changes things up and pours out his Holy Spirit so God can live in the likes of you and me. You see, that's the gospel and that's the good news. And, 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 and my ability then to live the Christian life isn't now God did all of that and now I just work harder. No, it's God did all of that so that he can live through me the kind of life that he requires of me. That's why I've said to you the Christian life is impossible. Absolutely impossible. If you're trying to live it, stop trying to live it and let him who now was crucified for you, buried, raised again, ascended and poured back out. That's why the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. Not just theological understanding, but that he, the Holy God, has now come and chosen to inhabit the flesh of men and women. That changes things. That makes us different. And those people who understand that are those who have been by the Spirit drawn into relationship, filled with the presence of God, and then can begin to live out their inheritance and the, demonstrate the reality that they have been sanctified. So grace then is absolutely undeserved. It, it, it cannot be earned. Uh, grace, it, by definition, is undeserved by any person. And that's what makes grace, real grace, irresistible. I am a, a Reformed charismatic. I believe in Reformed theology, but not just Reformed theology that's somehow dry. It's the Spirit must give it life. That's why grace is irresistible. When a person ever sips 
of grace, it absolutely is transformational and it is irresistible. You can't resist the grace of God. You can resist information about God. You can resist things that God may want to do, but grace is absolutely irresistible. When the Spirit of God is sent to change a person's heart, that heart cannot resist that change. You know, and there may be some here this morning whom, you know, you understand the external call. That's where men preach, and through physical words, you hear. That's the external call. But there's an internal call that always happens deeper than that, and that is when the Spirit uses the mere, uh, the mere words of men and women, and by that begins to awaken something in the heart. That's the internal call. That, that's, what, that's when I used to say Horace could just read the telephone book and people would come to Jesus. Why is that? Because it doesn't matter about the Word so much, but that the Spirit of God begins to draw that person and ignite something in them such that they just want more of God. The question is, do you want more of God? Do you want all that He has for you? Or will you be satisfied to be the church that you are today, tomorrow? Heaven forbid that that would be the case. You see, grace is irresistible. The Spirit of God then applies the work of Christ on the cross to the soul. The the Spirit changes the heart of a man or a woman from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, as the Scripture says. The, The change opens the eyes of a person who is spiritually blind to the work of Christ. It is that which the Spirit of God does on His own prior to us doing anything. It's not even so much your repentance or your confession. That follows what God has begun to do in your heart, by which eventually we say, I need Jesus. And we turn from our sin, the sin that captivates us and keeps us enslaved, We turn from it because the grace of God has been working. That's why Paul said, I commend you to God and to the grace, the word of his grace. It's grace that empowers us. It's grace that changes us. It's grace that brings us just as we are without one plea to a God who is holy and loves me just the way I am. He's not waiting for us to clean up our act and then come to Jesus. Isn't that good news? You see, that's the good news that Paul preached, and the American church has it backwards. Somehow, if you believe the right things, then you belong. No, we belong to Jesus first, and then we begin to believe the right things, and then we begin to change how we outwardly live. It's the grace of God, the Holy Spirit, is the means by which the blood of Christ is applied to the heart, and conversion then takes place. Here is where the Spirit of God alone draws a man or a woman. The Holy Spirit then causes the heart of the sinner to then repent of the sin and believe on the Lord Jesus and come to Christ. This work of the Holy Spirit is unmerited. You can't earn it. It's irresistible. You can't resist it. When God begins to draw you, you, there will be skid marks in your heels. You may resist for a season, and yet God will accomplish what he 
desire. Is that good news for anybody here? Do you remember when God, even in your own resistance, made it clear by illuminating the heart, and all of a sudden all your friends are going this way, and you said, I believe in Jesus. That's the word of God's grace. That's what Paul was commending those in Ephesus to. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace because it's the word of his grace that is able to build you up. It's the word of his grace that's able to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We'll get to that because that one's tricky. You see, the Holy Spirit in the grace of God working in tandem is what brings us life. Hebrews 13, 9 says, it is good that the heart be established by grace. It's good that the heart be established by grace. If it's established by anything else other than grace, it will not endure the test of time. It's the grace of God that you cannot merit, you cannot earn. It's the grace of God that will empower you along the way by virtue of the Spirit living in you. It will transform your life and bring you to that place of His choosing. I've attempted to live out the grace in my own life before you for the last eight years. And prior to that, 10 years before that, for a total of 18 years. I've become a man of grace. Why? Because I failed so often. And see, I've tried to demonstrate that it's not your perfection. That's works. That's your perfectionism. That's your need to somehow earn a place in God's good graces. You can never earn a place in God's good graces. It's in, your, in that now you were yet a sinner. Christ died for you. The Spirit awakens you and you go... Wow, he loves me just as I am without a plea. Yes, and you come to Jesus just the way you are. Does that make you perfect? No. But it makes you his. And when he makes you his, he will get you to where he ultimately wants to get you. Grace is unmerited and grace is irresistible and grace always perseveres. Works will wear you out. But grace will get you home. That's why grace is so amazing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Come on. But now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Is that true for you? That's the question. Or are you playing a religious charade? That's not mine to answer. That's for you. It's mine to answer for me. And I've attempted to live out grace before you, being honest with my sin where I've blown it. And that's made some people, well, somewhat nervous at times. Why? Well, I don't know, except I think the religious spirit wants to always cause you to look right, act right, speak right, do right. You know, do right. Well, sometimes we just can't do right. But Jesus does right. Amen. And Jesus then comes into the person who can't do right, and he begins the process of making us right with his own blood. Well, I've always tried to be real and honest uh, with both my successes and my failures. But now as Paul begins to say, 
his farewell to these Ephesian elders after three years, it would seem, um, he simply reminds them that this grace, the word of God's grace, is first of all that which can build you up. Now I'll just take a few minutes here in closing to talk about these three. Build you up, give you an inheritance, and sanctifies you. I put it this way, grace working by the Holy Spirit is what builds you up. Grace working by the Holy Spirit is what gives you an inheritance. And grace working by the Holy Spirit is what sanctifies you. Well, this Greek word, um, build you up, is a, a big word, oikodomeo. It's, um, it's, it's really oikos' is house, and it's to build a house. And it literally means that, that God is, the, the grace of God is able to raise anything up out of ashes. And, 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 and what Paul is saying is that by commending the elders of Ephesus uh, to the word of his grace, it is the word of his grace that is able to take you 12 men in your absolute weakness and build you up in such a way that you're able to begin for the very first time to build other people up. Now, isn't it true that all of us by nature are pretty self-centered? I cut my thumb yesterday, and I can't tell you how that thing bothers me. (laughs) And I say that to say when something hurts you, it's all about you. (laughs) When you slice a lot of veggies, you know, you keep your knife sharp. Once in a while, I get in there. Anyway. it's the grace of God that builds you up, and it's the unmerited grace. It's the, it's the unearned mercy. It's his forgiveness and his love. It's all of that working in us by the Holy Spirit, which is able uh, to build you up even when others tear you down. The grace of God is able to build you up even when you tear yourself down. Anybody else know that? It's the grace of God working in you that's able to build you up when life wears you down. Some of you know that one. See, it's the grace of God working in us that builds us up even when the enemy tries to accuse you down. Who do you think you are? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, because the spirit working in grace begins to manifest itself toward other people. Not just in building us up, but we become people who then build other people up. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says, pursue spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Why? Because he who prophesies speaks edification. That's the same word for building up. You see, when the Spirit of God is resident in a person's life, uh, He, the Spirit of God, uh, gifts other people through us that which He has done in us. He builds us up so that we can then build other people up. That's what the, the, the prophetic word actually is. It's, it's building another person up. It's encouraging them. 
It's giving them comfort, 1 Corinthians 14, 3. You see, what I'm saying to you here is that as Paul commended the elders of Ephesus to, to God and to the word of his grace, I'm commending you to the word of his grace because it alone can build you up. And God's looking for people who understand in the church that has been purchased by his own blood that their first task is to build up other people. It's not about my hurt thumb or your hurt thumb. Or, and I know some of you have in desperately difficult circumstances, uh, are, you just carry this thing beautifully and miraculously. I've been to the hospital and I visited some of you where you're in such pain and yet you're always building up other people. And I go, how does that work? And the Holy Spirit says the word of my grace, which is able to build you up and build other people up. You see, if you've received freely, freely then you give. So I would encourage you, I commend you to learn to live a life uh, as those who have received uh, and give, give the grace of God in building one another up. That means just turn outside yourself. Secondly, Paul says, I commend you to, the, to God and to the word of his grace, not only because it's able to build you up, but it's able to give you an inheritance. You see, we sang this morning, all the promises of God are yes and amen. You see, it's, it's the work of God's grace in you that gives you an inheritance. Now, this word's a curious one. I'm not going to go into detail there, but it really means that um, everything that God has given to us, both eternal in terms of destiny and ultimate experience and temporal, is already ours. You see, it's able to give, our inheritance is not just a destination and a place at the return of Jesus or when we pass from this life into the next, we'll go to another realm. There will be another kingdom. There will ultimately be an, a new heaven and a new earth in which reigns righteousness. But before that happens, there is a destination. But right now, our inheritance is not just destination and fiddle our time until he comes, but it's recognizing that God has given us an inheritance that has tangible assets to us right now in sharing the good news with other people around us. You see, we have an inheritance, and as we receive freely, we give freely. Ephesians 1.3 says, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That's the, that's the essence of this word uh, inheritance. It's every spiritual blessing in Christ, both eternal and destinational, if you will, if that's a word, and temporal, and that which works itself out right now. You have an inheritance that is by virtue of God living his life in you, and it will eventually get you there. But right now, you're not there, you're here, and God's called you to be uh, not just receiving the grace of God that can build you up, but recognize that you have an inheritance, and every place you go, you carry that inheritance. Why? Because in, let's, I'll simply allude to in Genesis chapter 15, uh, God said to Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. I am your inheritance. And what was true to Abraham has been fulfilled to us in Christ. 
Christ is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, and God now uh, is, in fact, um, our exceedingly great reward. Jesus went to the cross, he died, he was buried, he was raised from the dead after some 50 days, he ascended to the Father and then was poured back out. God has now come to live in us. That's why I'm charismatic. It's not because I'm somehow exalting the gifts as if they're more important than the great gift who is God himself. It's without the Spirit living in me and animating me and giving me his life, I'm simply a mere man. You see, it's Christ who is living in us. He is our inheritance. And every place you go, it's a mindset change, but every place you go, you can begin to say to yourself, I have an inheritance, and God is my exceedingly great joy. He is my, he is my exceedingly great reward, and Holy Spirit now lives in me. I would get, in fact, I get up every morning and I say that. Holy Spirit lives in me. What a reward I have. What an inheritance I have. Not just by and by, eventually, but right now. And that impacts how you live your life when you see other people in your job. It impacts when you begin to grumble and moan and, you know. What it impacts it because all of a sudden you can begin to shift away from your cut thumb and how bad things are to remembering who you are in Jesus. He, God, now living in you is your exceedingly great reward, and there are people all around you who are desperate to hear that good news, that somehow God even loves them in the depths of their sin. The sin that would so repulse you does not repulse God because of the cross. Let me say that again. The sin that so easily repulses us in our humanity doesn't repulse God because he knew how to deal with it. He deals with it through the cross. That's why Paul says in another place, you know, if you fornicators and all, you know, you won't inherit. The, and such were some of you. Say, well, not me. You know, that, you know it, that might not be your sin, but your sin is just as bad. And God in the person of Jesus paid for it all. All of your sin, past, present, and future. So Paul commends the Ephesian elders to the word of his grace, to God himself and to the word of his grace that was able to build them up and give them an inheritance. 1 Peter 1.4 says it's by the finished work of the cross that our inheritance is incorruptible. It, it, it can't deteriorate. Our inheritance is undefiled. You might think, well, you can defile things and change things and hurt your relationship with God. And, and the fact of the matter is what God has done for us is incorruptible and undefiled and can't fade away. God knows how to get you back on the straight and narrow. Are you aware of that? You know, you can be just, you can just, you know, there's the, that's the goal. We're going to go this way and you find in your life you're just kind of over here. You know what I mean? And what happens? 
God, by his spirit, because he, he is living in us, he's able to bring us back and go, that wasn't so, so good, was it? No, it wasn't so good. Well, then I drift over here. Well, you know, that, what is that? It's the persevering. It's the irresistibility of the spirit. It's the life of the spirit taking the likes of human people who have a treasure in this earthen vessel and drawing us into a glory that is yet to be revealed in us. On that day when the Jesus who lives in us becomes consummate and we see him face to face. So I commend you to the, the word of God's grace that builds you up. I commend you to the work, word of the working of God's grace by his spirit that gives you an inheritance. And finally, um, the grace working by the Holy Spirit that sanctifies you. Now there's two aspects of this sanct sanctifies you. Uh, one aspect is once the Spirit comes into you and begins to live in you, He begins to change things, and that is the way you walk. I used to blank, but now I don't. Would be an example of how uh, God, by the Spirit, changes things in your heart. But you are not primarily sanctified by what you change. You are not primarily sanctified by what you do. You are initially and primarily sanctified by a person who is Jesus. Now get that, because the church begins to live in a whole lot of self-righteousness and religiosity because they presume somehow that uh, sanctification is about what we do. Well, sometimes I don't do right. And yet, God has already sanctified me. And when I remember by the Spirit's life in me who I am, and He has built me up and given me an inheritance, that is what brings me back. You see, it's, it's the sanctification that is our sanctification as a person. Sanctification is Jesus living in us. Uh, he sets you apart for himself. The word sanctification just means set apart. Now, how does he do that? He calls you holy. And some of you go, holy moly. I'm not holy. Yeah, you are. If you've come to Jesus, he now sees you as holy. He couldn't come. God who is holy ineffably we don't have words to describe the holiness of God and yet he the Holy Spirit has now come to dwell in us the Spirit of Jesus living in us now he has made us holy and blameless and above reproach even though I can be ornery and stupid and foolish and do things wrong now, it's because he has sanctified us by his own blood that we then are never able to stay in that place. But he always brings us back to his love and mercy. But it's, it, it's, it's the sanctified life because of the blood of Jesus, the presence of the Spirit, that always brings us back and always causes us to persevere. Sanctification is a person working in us, 
to produce the very life that he wants to produce in us. Because God is in Christ, has sanctified you, he, call, he has then called you to walk differently than the people of the world. He doesn't call you to walk differently from everybody else in order for you to be sanctified. He has called you to understand you are built up in his grace, build you up, has given you an identity and ultimately um, a place where you're, you're living with him. Uh, but also that grace not just giving you an inheritance but has sanctified you. That's why God, through Paul, calls the people to whom he was writing, saints, hagios, those who were holy. Saint Jimmy. Isn't that wild? Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with all of them. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Well, the good news is there's not a ship that I have to catch <laughs> that I'm aware of. <laughs> Though God may lead, who knows how. But I want to say that it has been a pleasure uh, to work with each one of you, to know each one of you, some intimately and deeply and others less so. Um, but Jesus couldn't know everybody deeply and intimately, could he? Let's pray together. Um, Dean, would you come? And um, could, could we close? You, could we close with? Oh, you close with whatever you want to close with. You know, I had on my heart all the promises of God are yes and amen that we did because that's our lot. That's what builds us up. That's what gives us an inheritance. It is that which uh, causes us to to live in His grace and in His glory. Let me pray for you, and then we'll. We'll close with this last song. We do that? Whatever song seems right. Why don't you stand? In fact, why don't you take a hand, somebody next to you. Reach across the aisle. Can you do that? You can reach across the aisle. But yes, God. Yes, and amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such an amazing grace in which we stand. Thank you, God, that we can commend ourselves to the word of that grace. Thank you, God, that that word of your grace is able to build us up. God calls us to be a people who learn how to build one another up. Thank you that the word of your grace is that which gives us an inheritance, a hope, 
and the future. And God, as you have freely given to us that inheritance, even of your own life in us, God, cause us to be those who <coughs> offer that same good news of the gospel to other people. Lord, we just thank you for that you're the one who sanctifies us, that it's the word of your grace that sets us apart. It's not the word of our doing. It's the word of your grace that sets us apart, that your Holy Spirit lives within us and that you are always enough. So, Lord, thank you that you're transforming us in, from one measure of glory to another by the working of your Spirit because we are those who are sanctified by the blood of Jesus. Lord, would you bless each one of these, your people, and those who may be watching via the Internet, and those who would be touched by them even in the days to come. And God, I thank you for Pastor Stacy. I thank you for his wife, Monica. I thank you for their love, for their steadiness, for the spirit of Jesus living in them. And God, I bless them today. And I thank you for who they are and how they will represent you in the days to come. Would you make their path straight and would you make their pastoring your people easy not by their working but by your spirit and we give you praise in the name of Jesus amen